0: Listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. So, I'm going to jump into our panel discussion in a couple of minutes, but one of the topics or one of the concepts you're going to hear a lot from our panel members this evening is shared or this uh, this concept of shared value. Now, I'm aware we've got a wide audience on this evening with us. So many of you, no doubt, would be familiar with shared value, but there will be some of us, I'm sure, that are not so familiar with this, uh, with shared value. So really quickly, I wanna just give you a bit of a, a snapshot of what shared value is. Shared value is a business strategy designed to solve social issues profitably does this by leveraging the resources and innovation of the private sector to create new solutions to some of society's society's most pressing issues. And in doing so, it creates a more prosperous environment in which to operate, making business more sustainable and resilient. Shared value has gained significant momentum across the region in recent years um, and uh, especially in Australia and New Zealand as well, and some of the some very large organisations have adopted shared value programs. Uh, some of these uh, some of these organisations include the National Australia Bank, uh, AIA, and Optus to just name a couple. Um, So let me introduce you now to our panel. We've got a great panel. It's a big panel on this evening with many, many years of experience between them in social procurement. So I'd love to introduce you to our first panel member, Kylie Adenia from Major Road Projects Victoria. Kylie is a project and change management practitioner with 14 years of experience managing change. Kylie's current role at MRPV focuses on connecting social enterprises to commercial opportunities in the civil uh, infrastructure industry. Over the past 20 years, Kylie has worked across local and federal government healthcare, not-for-profit, utilities, transport, mining, manufacturing, and food and beverage. So welcome, Kylie. It's great to have you with us this evening. Thanks, James. Right. Uh, We also have Vincent Sully with us this evening from the Department of Jobs, Precincts and Regions. Vincent is an experienced principal policy officer with extensive experience in the portfolio areas of social and economic inclusion, Aboriginal affairs, youth and regional planning. Vincent is is skilled in policy development and analysis, report writing, business planning, management, and stakeholder management. He has a strong community and social... He is a strong community and social services professional. So it's great to have you with us, Vincent.
1: Thanks, James.
0: Uh, we've also got with us Deepin Samaya from Transurban. Uh, and a warm welcome to you, Deepin. Uh, Deepin is, is the Sustainable Procurement Manager at Transurban. He has worked with Transurban for over seven years, leading infrastructure and major project procurements, and has more recently transitioned uh, into a new, newly formed position, leading the Sustainable Procurement Program across the Transurban group. So it's great to have you with us, Deepin.
2: Thanks, James. Uh, pleasure to be with you this evening.
0: And we've also got with us Dr. Kevin Argus from RMIT University. Uh, Dr. Kevin has extensive experience as a design thinking and marketing academic with RMIT. He is part of a collective of of academia focused on designing human-centred approaches to the circular economy. Uh, He is also working with multiple stakeholders to design desirable, feasible and viable business opportunities within a circular economy framework. He is also currently involved in industry partner research with the construction industry informing impact measurement guided by a shared value (laughs) framework through embedded supply chain partnerships. So welcome, Kevin.
3: Thanks, James. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Great to have you with us, Kevin. We've also got Paul Ashby from Oricom. And uh, welcome, Paul. Paul has uh, is the infrastructure pro- practice leader at Oricom. Paul has worked with Oricom for nine years. He's a telecommunications professional with more than 15 years uh, specialising in end-to-end delivery of wireless networks within Australia and across uh, Europe, Middle, the Middle East, and Asia Pacific. Uh, and he's gained, he gained his telecommunication experience working in carrier, turnkey, and contractor environments. So it's great to have you along with us as well, Paul.
4: Thanks, James. Thanks, all. It's great to be here.
0: We also have Sue Boyce, who's the CEO for Ability Works. Sue has a 25-year history in the commercial sector with organisations such as Nestle and American Primo, and has nine years in the not-for-profit sector in public health the United Nations and mental health at Beyond Blue. CEO, uh, Sue has been the CEO of AbilityWorks since uh, October 2017. So, great to have you along, Sue. Thank you, James. And finally, uh, we've got James Natsas, who's the CEO of Apricot Consulting. Uh, James brings expertise in business strategy, team and leadership development, change management and digital transformation. James's background has included senior roles in corporate and not-for-profit settings. He also has experience working across all industries and working with large global clients. He has an executive MBA with distinction. And as I said, he's the CEO of Apricot Consulting. So welcome along, uh, James. Great
5: to be here and honor to be uh, with such a great panel today.
0: Great, well, we got there. All the panelists are introduced. So. Uh, we can jump into it. But before we do, we've got just a quick video that I think really uh, nicely frames up the discussion for us this evening. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, see it and hear it clearly.
6: McConnell Dale
4: and Deckmill won the MRPV design and construction of the Mordiola Freeway. MRPV engage us to spend in a socially responsible way and replace the order with Ability Works. It's been an absolute success since
6: then. Ability works exists because people who live with a disability or experience disadvantage face significant barriers to employment. We're a social enterprise, and our social mission is to provide purpose, pride, and a sense of belonging through inclusive employment. And our aspiration is to get more and more people with a disability or experiencing disadvantage into long-term employment. We provide employment in three business units, wire and metal fabrication facility, a digital scanning, coding, document destruction facility and a packing and assembly facility. Our employees feel that they have a voice, their uniqueness is appreciated and they're treated fairly and that gives them a sense of belonging and connectedness.
4: We have here just over 130 employees. We recognise the disability, yes, but then try and find a way around it. The exciting thing is getting new ideas and new work in and then semi-automating things, you make the technology adaptive to the person. So if someone's got no use of their feet, we might change the way the controls work on a machine and the employees, they love to be able to work.
6: What we manufactured from McConnell Dow Decimal joint venture was settlement plates. We have an employee here who got his welding qualifications and then had a motor vehicle accident, but we're able to make the adjustments required so that he can weld in his wheelchair.
0: My past workplaces haven't been that accessible, whereas here at Ability Works set up for all sorts of disabilities and they've got the right facilities. Now that I'm here at Ability Works, I've got support behind me and got people that think highly of
4: what I can still do. MRPV are really pushing for their contractors to socially engage in a meaningful way. The smallest order
6: to a social enterprise can make such a big difference and that's what we're really pleased to be part of. Social procurement is the perfect opportunity for business to be a force for good by creating employment for people from disadvantaged backgrounds.
0: Brilliant. Great. Well, uh, terrific video to kick us off uh, today and i think it's appropriate as we saw you were featured in there sue and your organization to go to you first uh, with the first question so sue and we saw it a little bit in there but what sort of impact does social procurement play in creating job opportunities for your staff Uh,
6: social procurement can have life-changing impacts because the people we employ for a variety of reasons they face many barriers to getting a job uh, so when they do manage to to get a job, they're very grateful. It helps with purpose in their lives, a, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It gives them pride. And by way of an example, uh, during COVID, we started a new business unit with Oricon, providing user-centered design services. And Oricon used our employees to input into the design of an infrastructure project. And so we had employees who were blind, hearing impaired, in a wheelchair, and others with varying needs provide input into the design. Uh, For a start, our employees just could not believe that they were being asked for their input on something so important. It created just so much joy and did heaps for their self-esteem, self-confidence, and they were just so proud to be asked.
0: Great. And Deepin, you've got uh, many years, as we heard, of uh, experience in the social procurement uh, space. Uh, I'd love to hear, you know, we've all experienced some uh, some amazing changes with COVID-19 this year, and some of them have actually uh, been great changes for our organisation. I'd love to hear from you what you think uh, whether COVID-19 has furthered the importance of social procurement. Thanks,
2: James. I think, I mean... From fundamentally, from from our point of view, um, this is an amazing time to be a procurement professional. This is, you know, a real point in history for, for anyone in this space, whether uh, you're working on projects or just general procurement, it's the ability to really change uh, society as it stands today through the power and the leverage of the procurement function. And I think if you look at the Australian context, we shouldn't forget, it was it feels like a lifetime ago, but it was only, you know, at the, begin, the turn of this year, I feel like Australia's gone through a double hit uh, with the bushfires and the impact, the economic impact of the bushfires. And almost on the top of that, almost as soon as we got over that issue uh, and the devastation that was caused through that, we kind of landed with the issues with covid nineteen. And so I honestly feel there could never be a more important time to look at the power of social procurement to help the community and make a positive impact. Uh, and some of the stats kind of are pretty shocking. some of the stats I've seen is, you know, our unemployment levels uh, around May this year had jumped up by over 200,000 uh, in a short period of time. And the, ne- the negative impact of unemployment and, and uh, these kind of issues that have presented themselves, I would say, have disproportionately impacted um, small businesses in particular. So there's this kind of issue there. And then if you then look at various sections of the community, there was a recent report that was published that said that, um, from Anglicare, that said that for every entry-level job that there would be eight disadvantaged job seekers competing against each other for that job, and in some parts of the country, there would be up to 20 job seekers competing for that job. Uh, and that's just within the, uh, you know, a cross-section of the community. So when you look at it, there's tremendous issues that need to be addressed, and this is not going to go away in the next uh, week or two weeks or three weeks, even if there's a vaccine that's been found. I think uh, this is going to be economic um, ramifications that are going to be presenting to all of us for a period of time. So. Um, in this space and especially in industries like construction, which are leading the way through the recovery. Um, I can't think of a, a better example of um, ways that procurement and business function can help the country.
0: Yeah, great, great, Deep, and we, we saw, you know, even in that video, just a testimony of the power of social procurement, restoring uh, dignity to, uh, to uh, people through um, those jobs as well. And I'd love to bring Kylie into this discussion. Um, Kylie, uh, uh, from MRPV, love to see, uh, hear from you. How do you see social procurements contributing to the recovery in Australia?
7: Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's so eloquently put in that video that, you know, social procurement, it's about sustainable employment, but it's also about meaningful employment. Mm-hmm. And so COVID has actually revealed what the reality of our community really is at the moment. There's so many people who are in transitional or or insecure employment. They are working paycheck to paycheck. And you know when, when JobKeeper is no longer, there's going to need to be a mechanism to employ many people in our community who are already disadvantaged and who have been hit the hardest by COVID. And I think the beautiful thing about social enterprise and about organisations like, like Sue's is that these organisations employ the most vulnerable people in our community. They give people hope and and meaning to their lives and they provide employment and 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 i think when you when you look at the people that have been hardest hit women have been hit extremely hard and so there's many many reasons why people are overlooked for main mainstream employment and i think one of the great things about you know we're living in this virtual world now though uh, now and we could really look at how that can open doors for people who couldn't access mainstream employment before. So if, if organisations can look at the way they think about their employment practices, they can be far more inclusive. They can look at their procurement practices and be far more inclusive. So I think it's presented a beautiful opportunity for us to start to collaborate more.
0: Yeah, great. And I'd love to bring... Um, I want to bring um, Paul into this discussion as an industry partner with Oricon. Um, Paul, why do you think industry partners should be looking at their social procurement practices as an opportunity, especially right now?
4: Thanks, James. Uh, There's a few key areas I think that that are worth talking about uh, in relation to this in terms of opportunity. Uh, Oricon, as everyone would know, is an engineering and advisory organisation and central to our motivation, I guess, and the reason why is to help and support the community So, Oricon sees social procurement as an opportunity to shape and design a better future and to leave a legacy. Uh, At Oricon, one of our core values, again, is to uh, increase the diversity and inclusion inclusion outcomes. Uh, And we believe that diversity of thought produces great outcomes. So, uh, as as we know, uh, as we know, social procurement encourages diversity across the workforce, but it can also increase the diversity of skills um, and opens up new opportunities across new markets. So I guess, again, Oricon sees social procurement as an opportunity to diversify the supply chain, uh, but to also train and upskill the wider community across new new markets. Uh, the uh, social procurement, I guess, also allows us to engage more widely with our community and allows us to co-design solutions for Projects. So, for example, as uh, as Sue touched on earlier, Ability Works w- worked with Oracon on a Department of Transport project uh, where the Ability Works team members co-designed assets which will better respond to people of all needs. So, Oricon sees that that social procurement provides an opportunity to to deliver better social outcomes. And I guess finally, uh, I think we all recognise that our younger community members and and potentially future generations as well. Increasingly, they want to align themselves to organisations that produce great social outcomes. And I think that this we can achieve that with a with a with and with a great social procurement program. So really, from uh, to to myself, it's a no-brainer from a brand perspective uh, that uh, that social procurement is a real opportunity.
0: Yeah, great, great. And I, and I want to go to the other side and ask uh, Vincent the same question from DJRP. Vincent, why should uh, industry partners be looking at their social procurement practices as an opportunity right now?
1: Thanks, James. Well, Building on what Paul says, I think there are economic opportunities as well as what I'd call social legacy opportunities. So we've had uh, numerous businesses come to government and want to talk to us about the social procurement framework. I'm sure uh, many if not all of you will be aware it's a comprehensive framework across the government uh, applying to all 275 agencies about uh, social procurement and so businesses come to us they know that the government's requiring these businesses to comply with the framework and that they can put themselves in a, a good position to win work from government if they get themselves geared up to respond to social outcomes uh, and it's a good point to make that it's actually a long-term thing we're striving for. The Victorian government really is, is looking to make social procurement business as usual in all government procurement. And so the more businesses gear up to achieve social outcomes, the better they'll be uh, economically over the, the longer term. But I'd just like to bring in the, the social aspect too that's been touched upon by a few others before, uh, James, and uh, I'd like to quote uh, a man from the uh, Level Crossing Removal Project, Brad Giddens. Some of you might know, be aware of the level crossing uh, removal project, a multi-billion dollar project looking to remove 75 level crossings by 2025. And Brad had this to say, I can quote him directly, he said, the outcomes we are seeing from the level crossing removal programs approach to social procurement made it clear that the model is successful. And more than that, the increase in social procurement has already left a lasting positive impact on priority job seekers on Aboriginal businesses, social enterprises, and our own workplaces and industry. Colleagues go to work knowing that they are building more than just a rail bridge. They are building opportunities and growth for Victorians who need it most. Partners are leaving a legacy of the type they never thought they'd be part of in this industry. They are proud to do so. And this mindset has been key to making social procurement as usual. So it's lovely to hear there in that quote from Brad, that recognition, of the opportunity to build opportunities of growth for Victorians who need it the most, not just, not just rail bridges.
0: Certainly, with um, no doubt we've got a number of social procurement practitioners on this call, so it's nice to hear about the impact of their work, uh, for sure. I'd like to build on uh, the point that we, we've just sort of touched on there with you, Vincent, uh, where COVID-19, you know, has presented an opportunity for government and industry to reassess how best to work together support growth in Victoria, what do you see as changing as a result of maybe of the pandemic or just just uh, the current situation, economic situation?
1: Sure, yeah, look, I think the pandemic has provided both opportunities and challenges for creating social value. Mm. One of the things we're seeing is the way that businesses have really risen to the challenge of responding to the pandemic. They've either extended their service offering or they've, in some cases, been able to pivot what it is they're doing, the goods and services they provide to directly respond to the pandemic. So as a result, we're seeing many of the businesses that we engage in are actually now more agile and flexible and innovative type of enterprises. So I think the government's very keen to harness that flexibility and innovation and really build on that in the future with our working relationships with business and industry. So you know, for us, we might consider well, how to give businesses wriggle room or scope to innovate as part of a project or a contract. Uh, do we need to look at opportunities for, for risk-taking, calculated risk-taking, if there's an opportunity to strengthen social outcomes as part of a project? So I think there's some of the questions that we as government need to consider in terms of how we might strengthen that working relationship going forward. I guess the obvious thing also for businesses, as many of them I'm sure are already doing, is to look at, well, how can we uh, take those innovations, those value adds that we've achieved and really factor them into our future way of doing business.
0: Yeah, great. Thanks, Vincent. And I'd love to um, also throw the same question over to Kevin as well. Um, And to hear from a university point of view, Kevin, you're doing a whole lot of research right now in this space. What are you seeing?
3: Yeah, well, look, as part of a, a research team at RMIT that are focused on uh, this question of optimising social procurement outcomes, we've been privileged to participate in this shared value partnership between Ability Works, Transurban and Oricon, led by Apricot Consulting, and we began prior to lockdown, and then um, I've been able to, uh, to be on all of the management um, meetings and also being part of a project around that, and it's It's been fascinating to observe what is possible when when stakeholders come together to collaborate and begin to form a deeper understanding uh, and empathy of each other's challenges and to forge opportunities. So what we did is we ran a project involving executive MBA students and MBA students to learn from key stakeholders what the challenges of social procurement are. And what we found was in this preliminary study that we fed back to, to this partnership was that you know, while while we currently have important social procurement policy across multiple state governments and certainly here in the state of Victoria, um, the challenge is, is often one of implementation, and we aim to address this through a research project that you alluded to uh, in the introduction. So I guess the question really becomes then how to harness this capability and to, to look at best practice in terms of frameworks that enable impact measurement, um, how to address design, deliver and measure social impact. And I'll talk more about that a bit later.
0: Yeah, great, certainly exciting, isn't it? Um, Kylie, I'd love to hear from a state government point of view um, that uh, the state government is looking at innovative ways to drive job creation and growth, particularly through the infrastructure industry over the next few years. Tell us a little bit more about what's happening in that space.
7: Yeah, so I guess from, from the MIPV perspective, one of the things we looked at um, in response to the bushfire recovery earlier in the year was how we could uh, see some more investment in the, the regions that were affected by the bushfires. And, and so we essentially now, in our social procurement requirements, actually encourage the employment of Victorians from the most disadvantaged regions uh, in, in, those, uh, in the most disadvantaged regions. Uh, we also encourage a buy local m- mindset. Uh, so when it comes to small business and large employers within regions, we'd also encourage um, purchasing from those businesses. And we do have a unique platform within MRPV because we do operate right across the state, which is slightly different from a lot of the other government agencies. So we've tried to harness that. Uh, and there's often... We lo- love to see lots of local people being employed on those projects and it gives the community a real sense of, purpose, again, that they are involved in the, the infrastructure that they will be using for many years to come. The other thing to note is that, you know, when 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 employers are looking for new people to join their organisations now, there are platforms like Sidekicker that's been set up by Working for Victoria. So, you know, everyone that's lost their job due to COVID uh, can register on that platform. And if you are seeking new employees, I'd encourage you to get onto the platform and to, to search for... Uh, through those databases to find the right candidate. There's some really great people that have lost their jobs for no no other reason but the fact of COVID. So mm. some great things happening in, in the state government at the moment in that space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly a lot of good talent out there right now, um, which is great. Colleen, I'm going to come back to you for this next question as well, but firstly, I want to throw to Vincent. Um, from your point of view, Vincent, what should industry partners be considering that often gets missed in the preparation or delivery of social procurement
1: outcomes? Thanks, James. I think one thing to be mindful of is that it can be more challenging in in regional areas than in metropolitan areas. There's uh, more of a paucity of social benefit supplies in those areas, so it it provides a structural challenge to achieving social outcomes. But there are networks and resources out in the regional areas that can help respond um, to social outcomes, and in particular, the requirements of the social procurement framework. And so I certainly recommend groups like Grow uh, that play a bit of a knitting role in bringing businesses and organisations that support disadvantaged job seekers together to achieve social outcomes. Another thing that's overlooked is that the government has developed some guidance, some uh, guidance for businesses around the social procurement framework that often gets uh, missed, uh, providing advice about how businesses can access social benefit suppliers, where they can get help to employ disadvantaged Victorians and just generally where they can find out about procurement opportunities under the framework. So that information is available on the Buying for Victoria website. And James, I'd be very happy to forward the link to all participants today to, to help to access that info. Right. And another key uh, area really is around reporting. And um, sometimes in, in the business world, we have very complex business relationships and uh, the the reporting aspect on social outcomes gets tend to gets pushed down the social uh, the supply chain and gets a little bit lost. So it's very important that we uh, ask businesses to really think through those relationships and think through how they can make sure that we uh, gather all of that information well. And uh, certainly there are some templates and uh, resources that can help to support that work.
0: Yeah, great. Thanks, Vincent. And Kylie, again to you, uh, from an NMLPB point of view, what often gets missed in the preparation or delivery of those social procurement outcomes?
7: i think um i think we can sometimes get a little bit too better down in targets and the traditional ways of achieving social procurement outcomes so appreciating that social procurement is about sustainable employment and there's there is a place for social um enterprise and aboriginal business and and direct employment but there's also a really big place for innovation and i think the future for me is going to be in that innovation space. I think there's a lot of our professional services contractors, for example, who are really searching for a meaningful way to contribute in this space. Mm-hmm. And they have some amazing intellectual property and they have some amazing skill sets that they would love to share with social enterprise and Aboriginal business. And I think once we sort of unleash and we become a little bit more flexible in how we impose our requirements, that that's when the real, um, change is going to happen. That's when the real coming together of minds is going to happen. And I also think that, you know, when when you look at COVID and the impact on social enterprise, so many of those organisations have identified new revenue, revenue streams and they have repurposed those individuals that work for them and really strongly focused in on what their core purpose was. And their core purpose was meaningful employment. And they really were all about keeping people in jobs, to keep them um, in sustainable employment. And so I think big business can really benefit from that thinking, mm. the way they approach, how they look at their business. And when you're agile, like a small business, you just think differently, ask different questions. And mm. so I think that's something that can really be missed. There's a real opportunity there in the collaboration space.
0: Yeah, great. And, and James, actually, I want to throw to you, um, you've done a lot of work with uh, partnering with organisations in this space as well to help them uh, meet some of these outcomes and to hopefully try and not miss what the what the two previous people have talked about. What are you also seeing as well?
5: Well, the the challenge of reporting I think is about the data that we're getting back. Uh, what story is it telling, and what outcome is it producing? So. It it feels like a lot of the work in social impact is very much about trying to quantify the the win. And if it's just measured about hours, then we we lose already because it's just about jobs, not careers, as uh, Kylie mentioned before. So the sustainability piece is important. But like anything, it it seems to rise and fall. Uh, If you can't measure it, you can't manage it on quantitative, qualitative, leading and lagging indicators. And all of those should be in hand in glove and hence why we often say shared value is a great vehicle because it is about the win-win, uh, not the win-lose. It's not a zero sum game in that sense. So it's about the win-win. So providing metrics that support both uh, enterprises in, in this instance, if if it is a, a larger corporate working with a smaller uh, partner, uh, certainly centers with Oricon and Transurban in particular, who are leading the pack in, in many ways in this, uh, that, those, those metrics then become really, really important. So establishing up front, not just those that are mandated, but clearly those leading lagging indicators, the quantitative and qualitative, because they help tell the story of what's happening. Uh, and they then become really good for the corporate, but also then for providing a, a visibility in terms of, are we actually moving the needle here? Mm. Are people's lives actually benefiting from it? We've seen this with women in, in infrastructure, and how hard it is for many to walk into the path of infrastructure because of what it means around the social support mechanisms or the lack thereof often. Uh, and so any of those things that can provide uh, visibility and exposure to those things and to the success of those things will help drive social procurement become a sustainable thing, not necessarily just the tick and flick exercise. Yes,
0: yeah, certainly. And a part of that is uh, working towards providing some sort of best practice model, isn't it? And uh, Kevin, you're doing a lot of research with RMIT uh, at the moment to produce a kind of a best practice approach. Uh, What role do you think research plays right now in providing insight into a best practice outcome uh, for social procurement?
3: Well, look, uh, I think as was neatly articulated by Kylie, Vincent and James, There's a number of ambitions, there's a number of expectations, um, and I think what what university and research has as a role here is to be the independent player who can map out um, expectations from all the, the key stakeholders, government, industry, supply chain and social enterprise, and start to, to learn more and, and to be able to then communicate more about, um, you know, what this meaningful employment is, what it actually does mean, as James mentioned, not tick and flick and just quantitative, mm. but also as, you know, Kylie and Vincent were, were talking to um, some qualitative and and meaningful, uh, sustainable, um, full-time work. Um, so what we want to do is, is to, to map out those expectations across stakeholders. We've got an ARC linkage grant application and we've got... Um, We've got involvement from all stakeholder areas, which is fantastic. It's been great to work with this particular partnership because they've demonstrated some really good practice in terms of creating shared value. And um, what we wanna do then is, is inform a measurement framework and from that to develop and to pilot an impact measurement tool. Because I think one thing that industry is often looking for is to say, well, um, you know we need to report on these things, so we, we need some some measurement tool. But as James alluded to, that's likely to have some quant and qualitative um, uh, components to it. And in terms of a management framework, because we've had this this great opportunity to observe uh, shared value um, in practice, what we've realised in, in looking at the research currently, it's conceptual only. There's no empirical study, so this what we what we aim to do is to provide the the. Well, first in terms of an empirical study into looking at how creating shared value um, can be used as an effective medium, a management framework to get these parties to, to not only come together, but in an empathetic forum. So what I've heard from stakeholders in this case, you know, in talking to Sue and to Deepen and to Paul and, and and James and others involved, is that having that framework has enabled a much deeper understanding where otherwise very big and very small organisations, you know, talk a different language and have very different sort of um, you know, um, strategy and, uh, and approach. So that's what we aim to do. And I think take some of the complexity or learn some of the complexity and build that into a framework. Because as, as Deepin has often mentioned, uh, you know, you're dealing as a constructor with tier two, three, and four who deliver while you're signing the contract. So how do you ensure that throughout your delivery chain, um, you're, you're meeting the same sort of um, um, measurement uh, imperatives that's been designed for that, um, that partnership.
0: Mm, yeah, great. And, Kevin, I'd really love to press on that point where you mentioned about, uh, obviously, about the Shared Value Program. I'd love to know, for those that are on the call, they're not so familiar with Shared Value uh, in practice, what it looks like. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah, look, uh, shared value, um, you, you provided a, a neat little intro to that. And I think some of the things that are worth worth just highlighting are that philanthropy and corp- corporate social responsibility tend to be temporal in nature. They're rather temporary and transactional. Whereas a shared value framework was designed ultimately to include um, an advocacy organisation like a social enterprise in your supply chain so that they become a valued partner organisation so that's very different partnering, or you know, you can use other terms like joint venturing or whatever. That suggests you're on the same, the same sort of overriding objective. You're looking at creative ways to solve a problem together. Um, and why adopt it? I think this is rather interesting. We've often had these discussions um, in in our shared value meeting, um, aside from academia, and I think. Um, you know this idea of co-creation of value—you um, know the ability to work together effectively to solve um, to solve challenges, but mm-hmm. to to also create mutual social, environmental, and economic value, so that it changes the trajectory just from like a shareholder value um, sort of uh, orientation into one that is more triple bottom line sort of oriented. Yep. Um, and I think the other things, and I know Deepen often refers to this in terms of his experience, and Paul's mentioned the same, in terms of your brand purpose alignment. So, you know, what you're getting here is you're getting internal branding. You're actually, through this this partnership, able to communicate and offer engagement, as we've seen through this partnership. Uh, and I know Paul's got some great examples at at Oricon, and, and Deepen's talked about the same at uh, Transurban, mm-hmm. where you get cultural alignment within the organisation. So you're looking at things like, hr policy around retention of valued staff and then the whole external branding means you're a purpose-led organization and a truly vested purpose-led organization not one in in name only but in in action and performance so it's good for business
0: (laughs) yeah great And, and you know that one of those businesses that is involved in this shared value project that you're referring to or program that you're referring to there is oricon paul uh, I want to ask you the same question. What do you? What is it meant in practice from an Orica perspective?
4: Thanks, James. So I guess you know, as we have heard, shared value I guess is largely defined as building a competitive advantage by solving social problems. And I guess that you know, we, we believe I guess a, a, as a collective that that you can do that through two mechanisms. And one is building a new a new offering uh, is one option, and the other is opening up. Uh, opening up supply chains where organisations weren't previously invited. Uh, At Oricon, I guess, we've been working with AbilityWorks to to tick off each of those. So, being uh, opening or working with AbilityWorks to open up a new offering. Uh, As I touched on before, that's really around uh, starting to initiate this uh, design consulting arm within AbilityWorks. They don't have that. So we've been working with them not just to provide the, and the opportunity and to open up and execute on that opportunity, but to also uh, develop a long-term strategy around that. So in essence, you're know, working with uh, AbilityWorks to understand uh, their where to play, how to win, uh, and then also taking the next step, I guess, working with AbilityWorks to understand how they can leverage and extend upon the work that they've already done. So this work's underway uh, and should be well advanced with Sue and her team by by year's end. Uh, The other aspect that I touched on is uh, about opening up, opening up supply chains to areas where they they may not have been working previously. And I guess at Oricon, we've been working with AbilityWorks on a volunteer project. Um, the, The challenge statement, I guess, is how can Oricon design a market entry pathway into the rail industry so that AbilityWorks can unlock long-term revenue streams tied to major projects. Now, it's quite lofty, uh, but I guess, you know, what what we are trying to do is harness the energy and the passion of uh, eight emerging professionals uh, who are working with Oricon, obviously. They are supported by a team of experts as well, uh, both within and outside of the rail industry. So we've got a team of uh, eight, eight... passionate EPs, the project's being undertaken as a 100-day sprint. We're using our, our design to innovate tools and we're utilising our design, our design wave, which, which really uh, asks uh, the following questions as a prompt. You know, what is, what if, what wows and what works? So you know, we're, we're challenging about you know, what we know today and how we can uh, design something for the future. Uh, obviously, uh, attached to this 100-day sprint, we have an established reporting structure which reports into our, our steer co on a monthly basis. And the, the steer code consists of Sue, who's online, obviously, Angus, our regional d- director, and Mel, who's our uh, local guru in the rail space. And we estimate that this project, at 100 days, will wind up uh, in late February, uh, allowing for the... Christmas shutdown period. And I guess finally and most importantly, Oricon's always viewed this shared value as a partnership between AbilityWorks and Transurban, RMIT and and Apricot, and together we've explored and advanced items such as investigating and starting to reshape the business plans, to reshape the strategic plans, uh, providing leadership training and support, and providing introductions to leaders across the government and, and the private areas. So they're, they're a few of the practical things that we have uh, been involved in.
0: Yeah, great, thank you. That's a great summary of the of the program, Paul. Uh, really quickly, James, I just want to throw to you, because we've heard from the other sort of partners in this Shared Value program, um, what, what role, you've kind of played the role of a project manager, um, and that's kind of been the role that Apricots played in this program. What What have you seen that has worked as a part of your role?
5: Yeah, firstly, it's important that I make a shout out to Oricon in particular, who have been a supporter financially of the whole program in in the, in the sense of bringing it together. And uh, it certainly takes a real investment from corporate uh, to be able to make the this work. And uh, it, our involvement stemmed all the way back from, uh, in essence, a culture piece up front, which is about trying to work out whether the marriage will work. And, mm. and that, per, that purpose and that point is very, very important. The key role, in essence, that we play along the journey is pulling it together, uh, what we'd call the governance, what we'd call the program management, uh, sometimes the boring stump, the, the checking in, the cadence of accountability, as we call it, the reporting. The engagement with SteerCo, which we do quarterly, uh, the checking and the allocation of 90-day sprints, those types of things become really, really important. And it often does take a third party to help bring those parties together for all kinds of reasons. And it certainly simplifies it and it just ensures that it stays on track because BAU land, business as usual land, tends to be a whirlwind for most people. So they've got to do their job and and so that then becomes complex and really, really difficult to navigate. So uh, the role I think that's worked really well is of the culture, the alignment between the parties is as good as I've ever seen, actually. Mm. And that then creates a, a longer-term sustainability, like a good relationship does. Certainly when that happens, it is much more sustainable uh, for the long-term success. And I think we keep hearing that word sustainability, a long-term career, all those sort of certain buzzwords also makes sense in this space and that's why we think it's a very good vehicle for driving social procurement
0: yeah fantastic thanks james and and just quickly to you deepen uh in regards to you know this shared value program or what you've seen through your involvement in shared value how do you assess return on investment can you thanks james and look i think you've already heard from the likes of a few people including
2: kevin about the return investment and impact measurement uh, as, yeah. a, as a kind of ongoing piece. I think the first comment I'd make is this is very much an ongoing piece for us. But just if you take a step back for a second, you know, that the, the key driver of this whole program has been laser focused and centered around AbilityWorks and making sure that we helped uh, the whole the whole idea was that this coalition or this partnership has been around working you know, together to help AbilityWorks enter the infrastructure market, which is something they didn't actually do before. Uh, and then actually thrive in that environment. so the video we, sh- we showed at the beginning, uh, you know that simply wouldn't have been possible if you rewinded back three or five years ago three to five years ago. So it's you know a sign of pride that they're actually um, performing the the task that they are now and they're doing it really well. so one of the the most basic kind of return investment for us is actually the fact that ability Works is actually going to win contracts in the market in the infrastructure market and thrive and succeed in there. and for us every every partner in this mix gets something out of that so there's there's lots of benefits for all of us whether it's the, the story that sits behind it or simply the fact for someone like Transurban that we have a stronger supply chain in the social enterprise market which makes our projects and our procurement processes more successful in the future so it's as simple as that um, and that's a very tangible metric but over time we're also tracking many other things including not just pure revenue or pr- pure employment but also the breadth of relationships So Again, if you want to talk about being long-term and sustainable, it can't just be based on one project with one win. There needs to be a breadth of clients and, and longevity sitting behind that, so we track that formally. And we also track internal metrics within, our, for example, our own employer base to look at engagement scores because one of the side benefits but actually been a brilliant outcome of this project is that mm-hmm. our employees that have invested time into this project have actually mm-hmm. we've seen great engagement from them, and it's offered them an avenue which is quite unique to deploy, I guess, their skills um, time and volunteering time um, to great effect. Uh, and it's actually been a great um, use of, uh, of, I guess, the resources within the company and, and led to some fantastic engagement outcomes and development outcomes by people. So we track all of those things. But at, like I said at the beginning, we're still co- uh, working on this to continue to grow that piece over time.
0: Great, great. Thanks, Deepin, and we're, we're fast running out of time, but I think we've got time for one more question, and I want to open this up to um, to Kylie uh, and Kevin and also Sue for this last question. How can the construction industry deliver on social procurement targets in a more effective manner for all stakeholders? Maybe to you, Kylie, first.
7: I'm going to try and keep it quick and just say you know, think think outside the box in terms of targets. Set some targets, I think that's a fantastic way to start the conversation, but certainly don't set them and then walk away. As a, as a um, government agency, MRPB has certainly become an active client in this space. And so we actively work with our company partners on how they are going to address their social procurement outcomes. We will introduce them to social traders in Kinaway if that is necessary. Um, if they don't have memberships already, and we'll also introduce them directly to social benefit providers and provide recommendations about strategies to achieve targets and to achieve the broader outcomes in sustainable employment. So
0: yeah, great, great. Thanks, Kylie. And Kevin, your thoughts?
3: Look, I guess from a, an RMIT research perspective, um, you know, building on what Kylie said, it's it's therefore very important for us to, you know, capture emerging approaches within government, across industry, to develop an effective framework and impact measurement tool um, where all stakers have greater transparency and clarity around how to design, plan, deliver, and report on their social procurement obligations. I think uh, one of the key things here is you've got a a lot of great intent, but it's not core business of large organisations to be dealing with small organisations and managing them as if they're, you know, incredibly important stakeholders. But the social procurement policy is um, is sort of inferring that. That's what that's sort of imposing. That's what they sign up to. So it's, it's really about, I guess, getting a really good understanding of, of where everyone's at with this and learning about some better practice, better way of optimising this.
0: Fantastic. And I think it's appropriate to finish with your thoughts, uh, Sue, from a social enterprise point of view. Uh, how can the construction industry deliver on social procurement targets in a more effective manner for you as a, as a social enterprise stakeholder?
6: So the nature of the construction sector is transactional and short-term, and in contrast, the experience Ability Works has had with our shared value partners is one where the approach has been collaborative and the horizon, you know, quite long-term. So, and it, I think it's really important to know that when the relationship began with Oricon, there was no identified opportunity to socially procure from AbilityWorks. And it was only because they took the time to delve into our business, have we you know, been able to jointly develop this user-centred design product that will uh, not only improve their competitiveness, but also you know, create um, enormous opportunities for our employees. So I think the experience that We've had a bit this shared value programs transferable to the construction sector. I often hear social enterprises are not selling what the construction sector needs at scale um, for the sector to meet social procurement targets. And I think there's an opportunity for the construction sector um, to take a collaborative approach and, you know, at pre tender stage and work with social enterprises to identify goods and services social enterprise could supply at scale and support them to do so. Um, and although only one of the um, construction corporates might win the tender, those unsuccessful may benefit on another infrastructure project where they are a winner. So I think collaborating at pre-tender stage is really important to provide social enterprise the time to gear up and deliver um, you know, that new product or serv- uh, service. And I think it's, if only, it, it's only when we do these type of radically different approaches um, will we have a chance of, of delivering targets of social procurement at okay? scale.
0: Right. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. Thank you for your thoughts. And we're just about out of time, but I want to thank everyone for joining us for our event on delivering better outcomes for social procurements um if you'd like any more information uh please get in touch with myself or one of uh one of the team and i'm sure our panelists as well would love to uh, you know chat to you if you are uh, interested in anything we've talked about uh this evening um the final thing i want to let you know as well is that in the new year um we'll be starting that is apricot consulting we'll be starting a bit of a like a lunch and learn networking opportunity it will only be We'll run it monthly um, all around the topic of social procurement. And so I think it's great to have different people from across industry coming together to have a bit of a chat to network. So we'll be launching that in the new year. So if you're interested in that, love to hear uh, your thoughts, what you think that could be. Um, But you'll also uh, get an email from myself uh, leading up to our first session uh, session, uh, in the new year as well. But apart from that, uh, thank you to the panel for your thoughts. Uh, It was great to hear um, all your thoughts and so much experience and and knowledge uh, this evening, so that was great. Um, Apart from that, everyone have a great rest of their evenings. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.